0: Thread, a singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Hi, this is Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to Thread. You're on episode 38. We're in Mark chapter 11. Uh, Today, though, before we get started, I would like to give... A shout-out to some friends who've been listening to Thread and have written me lately, and I've gotten some feedback. Um, Ziggy Siguniao from Manila. He's an Iron Chef there. Uh, Craig LaFortune, good friend of mine from China. Another dear friend, Paul Richardson, Brandon, Florida, who is actually the one who made the intro for this show, the music bit there. Uh, and... A really sweet friend, actually a friend of my daughter that became a friend of mine and my wife, and we just adopted her into the family, Brooke Sherlin, who's in Cleveland, Tennessee this week, and staying there, I think, for the summer. So thanks to all of you and to the rest of you who are listening, and today's topic is the state of our worship, the state of our worship. So if you don't have a Bible, run and get one, because we're going a verse at a time through Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, and I'll be right back. All right, Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. Let me start with a question. What is your worship level these days, your personal level of worship, your experience of worship? What's that like for you these days? I remember uh, being in Atlanta, Georgia. I was in traffic. It It was heavy traffic, but it wasn't standstill, but we weren't moving all that fast. But I passed this lady, and I looked at her, and she was off to my right, and as I went by her, she was in her car alone. And she had her right hand on the steering wheel, but she had her left hand, you know, raised halfway up and she was crying, but she was happy and she was, uh, and I knew exactly what was happening. You know, she was caught up in worship. She was in her car in traffic and she was giving God her love. She was expressing her heart to him. She was glorifying him. And um, when I saw her, I smiled because, you know, other people driving by would think, oh, she's just crazy, or she's having a meltdown of some kind emotionally. But I've been right where she's at. You know, a car's a a pretty intimate little cocoon. And uh, many times, you know, God's shown up in the car, and I just praise Him for those moments anywhere, anytime when I feel His presence, and I want to always stay sensitive and stop whatever I'm doing when God walks in and wants to get my attention, and even beyond those moments, you know, I, I want to be a worshiper of God. You know, In airports all over the world, they have to build prayer rooms for Muslims. Uh, and, uh, you know, we ought to respect that and honor that. These are people that are serious about the devotion that a person owes to God and that you stop whatever you're doing and however inconvenient it is, you just stop it. And you get on your face and you worship Him. I live in a Buddhist country, and I mean, they're on their face, flat on the floor, uh, you know, to worship an idol that a man may, but they're serious about worship. And, uh, and some Christians are very serious about their worship, and other Christians are not so. So, it's an important question, and that's really what today's thread is about. Where are you at? In your worship. Because in chapter 11, Christ is gearing up for His final dramatic week. This is His week where He finishes and fulfills His complete mission. You know, He's already checked off some items from the list. Item 1, all Israel has heard the gospel. Check. He's gone through every little town and village and has taken His disciples with Him and has sent 70... Uh, others to go out, and so they have blanketed the north and the south of the country. Small and large cities have heard a gospel presentation. They've had the sick healed. They've had uh, all kinds of miracles to prove the gospel, and God will always do that. Um, and so now he's he's finished that. Number two, he's already checked off on the list. He has made disciples, thoroughly made disciples, and he has trained The next generation of leaders, he has those who will take up this movement from this point on, and check, that's already done in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he's able to go to the Father and say, I have finished the work you gave me to do. And that work is training other leaders, because that's what the context says, he's talking about them. Uh, Third thing, check off, false religion, cursed and addressed. So he is a, a prophet. He's come from God. He is there to deal with false religion on the earth. He has faced these people for a year, virtually every day, around the country, pointing out what is false about the way that they have turned worship. And uh, now he will take it to the headquarters, and he will deal with the high priest himself. And he will he will go into the temple, and he will once again uh, establish. Right principles of worship there. So, number three, what he has not done yet, that he will now have to do, is to complete Messiah's role in dying for sins as a sacrificial lamb. That's his job and only his job, and he must do that. And then he must conquer death and reverse the curse upon the earth. And to do that, he will need the Father's help because. He has to die in order to do this, and He has to die in faith, believing that the Father will do His part and will resurrect Him, and that the curse that's been placed on the earth for thousands of years will now be broken and will be reversed. And then finally, He'll be able to open a way for man to come back to Father God. There is no access to God. We are guilty and can't do anything about it. God is righteous and must not change just to suit us. And so he can't look at the guilty and say, oh, okay, I'm just going to let it go. Righteousness says, no, someone has to make it right. Someone has to pay. So he'll be all that so that the way is opened to the Father. And we can come back to the Father, and we can have access to Him, and God can rebuild a family out of mankind. Because that's his dream. It was the dream of a of an earthly family that prompted the creation of Adam and Eve and every other thing down here, was that God would walk with man and that He would have a family of people with free will who would freely choose Him as Father, choose righteousness as their way of living, choose God's standards above their own, and He would establish His kingdom on the earth. And that's what God is coming to do again through Jesus. So as he's moving toward that, verse uh, 1 says they got near Jerusalem. He's come through Jericho, and that's when he healed Bartimaeus. And now he is nearing Jerusalem, and he's down on kind of a low, a low place. Uh, he's near Bethany coming up. He's now at the Mount of Olives, and if you've ever been on a tour of Israel, you know, you know, you know about all this. It's not that far. The Mount of Olives from Jerusalem, I mean, it's, it's not a mile um, you're just down below the walls of the of the temple, and he's there, and uh, he he recognizes that something is about to happen, and something needs to happen. So he sends his disciples into the town, and he says, "Go in the town, and you're going to find." And this has been revealed to him. Uh, you're going to find a colt. No one's ever ridden it, and it's going to be tied up. You're to loosen that colt and bring him to me. Uh, he has, in his heart, he's full of faith. He knows that God will do this. He has seen it somehow. He recognizes that he's supposed to do this thing. And he has absolute trust in the Father's provision. He's thought through all the all the things that could happen. Uh, if somebody says, um, why are you doing this? You know, He doesn't know for sure it'll happen, but he says, if it happens. If someone says, why are you taking that animal? Just say, the Lord needs it and they'll give it to you. So, you know, he lives with that kind of of confidence. He lives with that kind of assurance that the father is taking care and all the details will be provided. Well, the men went and sure enough, that's exactly what happens. And the people allow them to take the colt. They bring the colt back to Jesus. And here we see a fulfillment of a prophecy. There are many different prophecies about Messiah, and one prophecy is from Zechariah. 9 9. And that prophecy says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just or righteous, and he is having salvation. But he is lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, God's ways are so different from our ways. We, we, would expect and they expected messiah to come as a warrior messiah to come on a really big bold muscular horse messiah to come in great glory and god said messiah is coming he's coming with salvation and you should all shout and celebrate it but when messiah comes he is humble and you have know, all the aspects of god that amaze me that god is humble has always been the one that I I'm just I never can get a hold of it. I'm amazed at that. It lets me see what's in God's heart and uh you know why he hates human pride so much because if anyone should be proud, he should be proud, but he's not, he's humble. And uh so in God's mind when the great king comes into the city, his king, not a human king that would do it for his own glory, but when God's king comes, he'll come humbly. And so here's a, you know, a little half grown mule and Jesus sitting on a mule, his feet can probably almost, you know, touch the ground and that little donkey moving him through the city. And that's the glorious entrance. You know, it's all these paradoxes. God loves paradox. Humans build things up one way and so God will do it another way just to show it's not a work of man, it's a work of God and that this is how God's heart operates um, so, here comes Jesus into the city on this donkey, and the people come under a, um, a Holy Spirit anointing for worship. And they start to do things that are not normal for them. They, uh, they throw their clothes on the road for Him to ride on top of. They cut down branches from trees. You know, they're trying to sort of make a red carpet. you know, like a really special entrance and they're waving palm branches in the air and they're going in front of him like a town crier and they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he, verse nine, who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. You know, they're getting all these anointed words that are coming from the scriptures and they're reciting all these messianic psalms. Uh, Blessed is the kingdom of our father David, that comes in the name of Jehovah. Hosanna, save us in the highest. And they're bringing him in. They're just caught up in this, you know. Uh, they don't, you know. There's a part of this that is beyond them. It's not just that they've said, okay, it's time to worship. They are caught up in worship. The Holy Spirit is moving them, and they have gotten themselves in a place with with worshiping people. And Jesus has shown up and. Their you know their their soul just automatically rises to meet the presence of God that is in their midst, and they find themselves you know outside of their normal way they're shouting they're jumping they're you know they're caught up and I've been there, and I praise God for every time I've ever been in a place where it seemed like God showed up in that place we felt we felt him come in there we began to worship and cry and and you know just pour our heart out to God and I've been there so many times in so many different places you know here in Thailand we were making a video promotional video for an orphanage to help them raise some funds recently and the uh Norwegian missionary was saying that he's these are kids I mean this is hard case their mothers have been their mothers are hill tribe women they don't have proper documents. So they don't even exist as legal people as far as this country's system works. So they've gone into court on their very first time. They've had no legal representation. And they've been given like 25 year jail sentences for their very first crimes. Uh and if there's no one that can take care of their children, their children go to prison with them. Uh and so you got these mothers and kids all in the same jail and they're sleeping like um like spoons and forks, you know, in a tray. They just body to body to body, and it fills the whole floor. There's no beds. It's just a hard life. So this brother goes in there, and he talks to the warden, and he says, I'll take these kids, and uh, I'll bring them to see their moms. Uh, So he takes them to his house, and he he raises them, puts them in school, and just, uh, you know, such a noble work. But he said, you know, I recognize it's not enough. They have to know God. And so we've been having times to teach them how to worship God and uh, you know they teach them the songs to sing, they teach them to sing and he said and we began last week he said we started and we decided every night last week we're going to worship God and he said something happened about the third night we were singing and it was you know it wasn't just us anymore all of a sudden there was a presence in the room from God and and things started happening in people. And you know, things will happen in worship that will change you forever. Bondages can be broken. Think, you know Things can fall off of you. You can get direction. You can get words from God in a place of worship. So let me come back to the question. How's your worship today? You know, I'm a leader. I'm a father of a large family. Uh, I have a lot on me. I'm running a school. I'm running a radio network. I produce my own ministry content, travel uh, about one week a month, and I've got to raise a ton of money every year. And all that stays on me every day. And if I'm not careful, as a leader, carrying the load, dealing with personal problems of my staff and needing to hire, uh, hire and every now and then correct uh, a worker and you just got all this stuff It's always on you. If I'm not careful, it's easy to just go to the work, you know, Even to just get up and just charge right into it and to see the work as so compelling and so urgent and you just dive into it and, you know, problems just tumble all around you all day long. You're just slogging your way through and one problem, just here's another one right behind it and your heart is so heavy and your faith decreases and your fears and your doubts rise and you're hard on people and you judge them at their worst and you start to anticipate bad things happening instead of good things. But, you know, worship will fix that in me quicker and better than anything else in the world. I try to get up every day and go for a run and, uh, and a prayer uh, in the first hour of the day. Sherry and I take off and we run about halfway through it. We stop, and we pray. And we come back home. Uh, you know, exercise is important. There are, enough sleep is important, all that. But just a time of worship. Put in a CD and just find me some music that I can connect to for worship. It's not entertainment. It's not background noise. It's worship music. And I've had a couple of different years in my life where, I mean, it was just a battle the whole year. And I will always be grateful to certain singers because they don't know it, but I played their CD to death. You know, in radio, we talk about burning songs when you overplay them and nobody wants to hear them. <laughs> and, you know, I would just burn that CD and their kids walk in the room and go, not again. I go, well, it's for me. Uh, and, and, you know, at the end of that year, I usually put it away and I don't listen to it anymore either. But it was the words that carried me. It was a, a way to get me outside my head And let my soul rise up to God. And I need that. You need that. We were created by God to worship and interact with Him. Uh, You need to find you a worshiping church. If You're not in a worshiping church. You need to get you in an environment because there's your personal worship that you need every day. But you also need a place where you can gather and congregate with other people and you can worship God together. Find those people. If you can't find them, start it. It'll get you a small worshiping home cell. It doesn't have to be about food. It doesn't have to be about Bible study. Just get somebody who will take charge of bringing worship music uh, that ministers to the soul and just worship together. Now, I'm amazed. I will go into persecution countries because that's where I work uh, in some of those lands. And I go into these countries and. Uh, you know, we're going to get arrested. They're at least, well, we're going to get arrested. I'll probably get kicked out, but they'll get put in jail in some places. And you'll see them, uh, you know, all the doors and windows are shut. They'll put extra insulation against the walls. And then they'll sing as loud as they can inside there. It's, It's like a calculated risk. You know, they need the worship. They need the worship, you know, More than they need security that they're not going to go to jail, more than they need to be able to continue to live their normal life. But what they know they can't survive without is worship. So they show up week after week to worship God. So let's work this week on reestablishing worship in our own life and see what the fruit of that will be. If you'd like to talk to me directly, just email me, chuck at quinley.com. I would be delighted. To hear from you that's all for now talk to you next time on thread thread a singular thought expanded upon thread is the podcast of the emerge network for more information log on to Emergenetwork.org.